Welcome back. Welcome in. Let us begin another week at earsports.com, part of the 24-7 network. I am Mike Saza, welcoming in Chris Anderson. Chris, I don't like to do these things because sometimes it boils it down to two, or maybe it whittles it down to two fine a point. But um, I went back and I watched the three plays in question. Pretty sure they screwed up the fumble. Mm-hmm. Don't have an issue with the Winston Wright overturn, although I could see that standing, but I could also see them overturning it. And I'm not as mad as Neil Brown was at the non-pass interference, but I could also see that being a penalty. So I think they got the fumble completely wrong. And then two calls that are 50-50 calls went against West Virginia. Um one being something overturned on replay, which doesn't make sense in light of the fumble. And the PI, you just can't do anything about there. But uh, a long game, a lot of moments in their red zone possession. <clears throat> um, just little things, you know, that could have maybe put those more in the distance or maybe not put them in quite the, the profile that they're in. But uh, two days have passed. Feel any different about those moments there? No, I... I, as far as those specific three plays, I think, you know, I'm, I think they definitely got the Winston right one correct. I, I, I mm-hmm. it bobbled and he didn't get full possession to of it until he was out of ground, out of bounds. I think I thought that at the time. I thought I think at the time I said maybe it maybe it sticks because they ruled it a catch first. Uh, but mm-hmm. I would I would have called it incomplete. I think they completely screwed up the fumble. So one, they definitely got right. One, they definitely got wrong. And then the PI, I think, is the one that's 50-50. At the time, I was like, that was definitively pass interference. They just haven't called it all day. So I guess that's, you know, it's consistent. It's consistently bad, but it's consistent. Um, And then that one view from the far end zone, not from your traditional TV, you know, angle on the side, but from the far end zone when you're behind the quarterback. Mm -hmm. It really hammered home the, home the point that you made right in post game uh, about if Jarrett Deggy throws that ball a foot to the left, a foot closer to the receiver. I think the flags are flying. Yeah, because when you look at it from behind the quarterback, I don't. I did. You know, I watched it a couple hours later again when I was looking over some things from the game and. It was it was pretty far away from Ollie Jennings. I at the time I, I in my memory it was closer. Ollie Jennings was right there. He's about to make the catch and and got interfered with. But when you go back and you look at it from that angle, the ball was about four or five feet away from Ollie Jennings. Mm-hmm. I feel like and so it's tough. I I, I think they should have called it. I think they should have called it about five pass interferences on some slant patterns, but they had been letting DBs just completely molest and tackle receivers on, on quick slants all day long. I'm pretty sure that we talked about West Virginia's forte is in the middle of the field. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that that Texas said, you know what, we're just going to interfere with them, but they really played close tight coverage there and made some of those things difficult. They still had success in the middle of the field, some good plays and large gains, but I think that's the way you combat them. We talked about how they had to press the Texas receivers outside, which 
I, I, they didn't they didn't win or lose the game on the outside either team I should say so that wasn't matter but man we probably have forgotten the fact that I mean as as early as what was the Texas Tech game I guess mm-hmm. it's been weeks we've been saying like they're making hay in the middle of the field what are teams gonna do yeah, that's kind of what you do maybe maybe you hope that early in the game they're permissive mm-hmm. with some contact some physicality and you can kind of ride that line the whole game and they did so I'm okay with that like it was it was consistent. Is it going to be like that every Saturday? No, that's the unfortunate part. Nothing in officiating is the same from every Saturday to Saturday. So, if it's from if it's fine from the first quarter to the fourth quarter, you know, if it comes down to play like that, that's unfortunate. But it wasn't a random thing. Like, if if they had called that flag there, it would have made sense um, because it just looked like it might have been interference. But in the context of the game, you'd be like, oh, gosh, they've had that happen six, eight times. They haven't called it. Why there? Is it because it's a touchdown play or a fourth down play? So I guess it just depends on what side of the stadium you're sitting on. Yeah, I it was a close one. It was it was I, I keep thinking back to this game and it's how do you how do you take it? And I'm gonna I I'm gonna do a new piece tomorrow morning on, on Tuesday morning. Um I don't want to deviate too much from the topic here, but it, it's kind of related because <clears throat> my point of it is, and it's something you and I have talked about a lot for years about there, there comes a, a point in the week, like an inflection point where you switch from looking back on the game that was and, and looking forward to the game that's to come. Mm-hmm. And so I think on Tuesday mornings, I'm going to start doing something about that, where we, we, we switch that, make that switch. It's a natural switch. That's when we make the switch anyway. And in that piece, I was thinking of different things to talk about. And I was trying to really wrap my head around what this game means, not just, for what happened yesterday, but for what might it mean for the rest of this season and where this program is as a whole. And I think, you know, the overall outcome of the game, it lost by four on the road against the number 22 team in the country that might be better than the number two 22 team in the country, or was at least expected to be uh, before the season. And, they had their chances, and 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 this is what I think we've seen it before. We've talked about it before. It's it's something that rears its ugly head, and and W fans are going to say, "Oh, it's always us. It's always us. It's it's always college football. It, you always have. There are always games where a team has a chance and and shoots itself in the foot or makes mistakes or there's a questionable call and it just doesn't happen. A lot of times, luck has to come into play, and West Virginia just didn't get it. And I feel like. There, there were some close decisions, some tough decisions, some questionable decisions, uh, a play here, a play there. And then all of a sudden, you know, West Virginia could be instead of four and three, maybe they're six and one. And, and you're talking about, God, if you're talking six and one with this team right now, mm-hmm. like, th- does Neil Brown get an extension tomorrow? <laughs> uh, like, I mean, that's I think that's how razor thin the margin for error is when your team is pretty good but not that good yet like it's still young they're still developing guys so there there's this is a really uh, um <clears throat> i think nuanced time to kind of look at this team and try to figure out where it is and where it's going the only the big difference between last year and this year to me is the games are more competitive this year mm-hmm. they're, they're losing them and, you know, if you I was going back and I was looking at some things that Brown said last season and he kept saying that, you know, we're taking these games into the fourth quarter. 
and teams are pulling away from, for example, like last year's Texas game, I think it ended up was 10 points, maybe 13. Yeah. I don't have it in front of me, but it wasn't, it was a competitive game. And again, they had to hit a trick play to win that game. Um, the Iowa state game, the final score isn't close, but like there are really extenuating circumstances in that game that makes that a little bit more one side than it was. The only time they really got handily beaten was by Texas tech. So if you, again, you don't put one season over the other and assume that all the variables are the same. That's why they're variables. They vary, but not getting blown out by anybody playing these games into the fourth quarter. You don't get partial credit for these. You don't get half wins or draws or whatever, but had a chance to get off the field against Oklahoma state down six had the ball tie going at the end zone in Texas tech and then had two red zone possessions, which is your strength. So is the league down is college football sloppier is West Virginia better. I think it's a combination of all that the trouble is that some of the stuff has been more emphatic against West Virginia. You know, they haven't been able to do certain things and then maybe, maybe the game and the sport hasn't been sloppy mm-hmm. enough or the teams haven't been far enough down that their improvements are more amplified, but for for a track that they're on, it's probably maybe behind where they want. They probably want to win one of these games that they're close on. You figure you earn that when you when you dedicate yourself to the offseason and making progress and climbing and striving and all that. But they haven't gotten it yet. Doesn't mean they can't. But um, they're there, just not quite there. The one thing I don't get, we we can agree though, defense is markedly better, and a lot of that is just well, new players really mattering. You're looking in the secondary especially. But also guys who were supposed to get better got better by and large. And guys who were good and were supposed to get better got better. So that helps. Um, I don't understand the offensive gap because the running game is better. Letty Brown is significantly more improved. The offensive line is better. Daigie's the quarterback. I just don't understand why that's not more of a difference from last year to this year. Any explanation there? Well, I think some of it's relative better. The offensive line is better, but would we say it's good? I'm I'm on the fence on that. Sure, I'm with you. I I, I and it, you know, you're looking at the different groups. I think, you know, for this year's team, you got Daggy. You know, and, and I, I touched on this because I think this is kind of tied into one of the questions in our bail bag about what what's wrong with the offense and and or is Daggy the answer? And I don't think this is entirely on him. I again, offensive line was was bad last year. Uh, Colt McKivitz was great. Uh, Kelby Wickline was pretty good, and then everything else was was terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be blunt, this year it's been inconsistent. There's been some bright spots. There's been some down some down swings. It's been meh. And Letty Brown's been good. Receivers have been inconsistent. Tight ends were good and have been great in, in smallish doses, doses. And then, you know, their kind of usage gets picked up against Texas and they take a step back. So who's helping my, my, my answer to the question in the mailbag. And I guess we won't need to touch on this later, but my question is who's helping Daggy on the offense specifically. I think there's Letty Brown and maybe like one or two linemen and Winston, Right. And even Winston Wright's had a couple drops this year, a couple no-show games. So I think it's it's there are some pieces that need to step up around Daggy, and the offense is still incomplete. And, and a lot of that starts with the offensive line. I think it's a good open week conversation. I don't know if it's a story to write or if it's a more full-throated podcast, but you know, the numbers are are 
better. And again, relative is the term. And this was never going to be a quick turnaround this season. Like they just had too much working against him. I get that. Like I understand that stuff. But you know, yards per game is better. The win total is almost where it was last year. So I understand all that stuff. But you know, there is progress. But I just kind of feel like that the scoreboard would be a little bit busier than it has been. That just that just hasn't been the case, and that's been to their detriment a couple times. Um, I don't know. A point I made in my three things. I think and three things I know Sunday was, and I don't know what it means, but if you look at the teams they played and you look at their, their schedule and their stats, it, it fluctuates. Everybody has a weird game where they, they explode for points and yards. And then the next week they're flat and then it's up and down, up and down. By and large, West Virginia is pretty consistent when it comes to yardage and points, which makes me think that they might've, they might've figured out how to play their game. I'm not sure it's the right game, or whatever, but, it just seems like a foundation that you can do something with. I'm not saying that they continue with this style because that's not winning. It's not going to sustain for a long time, but they're, they're, they're not unpredictable. Does that make sense? It seems like that they've got something as far as an infrastructure, a set of train tracks, mm-hmm. so to speak, that they can settle into. And then you build off of that or you grow from that. And maybe you end up with a game like Kansas state or Kansas, but um, really not many, disasters i wouldn't say any disasters like they, they haven't been explosive or they haven't been you know the most efficient team but nothing that you look there and go what happened where is this team that we saw seven days ago 14 days ago it seems like they're actually they found something i'm not sure what it is or where it goes but like they're not an unpredictable who knows who shows up kind of team a consistently average offense i think a consistently average offense and a consistently above average defense mm-hmm. um to, to your point i think in and that's kind of what we're um, seeing with the final games. You know, I, I, when I was doing a, a, a pregame radio spot for the Texas game, somebody said something about if it would be a 42-41 type game, like a couple of the exciting games we've seen in Austin between these two teams. I said, you can't, no way. I said, at most, it's going to be like 27-24. I think that's what it would be. It's something similar to that. And uh, I believe the over-under was 55 or something. I said, I would hammer the under. I think it's going to be something like 27, 24, 24, 21. I just, there, there is no scenario in my mind right now where I see this offense scoring 40, 50 points. And there's also, I, I have a hard time, you know, they haven't done it yet. They haven't had like, you know, a, a seven point game or something, you know, I know they ended up with 13 against Texas, but I feel like that was a little bit of an extenuating circumstances with how they went for it on those fourth downs and, came up empty when they could have had more points, but it's um, this team. It is what it is right now. And I think we know what it is. And and to your point, there's not going to be many surprises right now, which isn't bad. It's not what they want, but it's not bad. If you're putting out fires that popped up randomly right now, that would be bad. At least that's not happening. And we'll get into this in the future. There's, there's, there's help on the way. I think maybe not immediately, but they're, they're doing what they can. Can they keep the guys and and retain them and develop them? We'll see, but eh, whatever it's, it's, it's the house is not burning down. Um, Let's burn down the house with some questions from our mailbag. Um, okay. That that offensive one I wouldn't kick out altogether. There's some stuff in there. There's some um there's some fruit we can pick off of that tree. But there's also some other good questions here from the post game. Uh, if you're not familiar, if you want to get in, we talk a lot before and then after the game, being Chris and I, and I think everybody watches the game and has a bunch of questions. We can't possibly answer them all, so we open up a thread on the board on the VIP side, Country Roads Confidential. People ask their questions, uh, things that have been on their mind. They haven't been able to answer or shake. <laughs> Some of these are quite obvious after this game on Saturday, 17, 13 for Texas. 
these are the questions and we're going to try to answer them. Chris, fire away. Let's start with one that maybe isn't easy. It, it could, it, it's phrased the way that it should be a quick answer. I am certain that neither you nor I will make it a short answer, but from Summit WVU, how many of the current starting linemen will start in 2021? Well, this is a good question because who comes back that's a senior? I think we've discussed the the thing. The so the options are Mike Brown and Chase Barrett is who you're referring to there. Um, I've thrown them out both as as possibilities. I, I believe so. Of you, you you did note that you know Mike Brown is looking to get into the ministry. Right? Is is a religious man that and and a family man at that, um, and might be it. You know. Sometimes you move on with your life. I don't know if he's at that point. We don't know what he's thinking, but uh, Chase Barrett's a possibility. Uh, but Neil Brown, again, I think has said he, he hasn't had those conversations. So it's hard to know what either of those two guys are going to do. I would I would say this. and Mike Brown's had a nice season. He had a tough Saturday. So let's not go um, baby bathwater here. But I think that the right guard spot is going to be open for next season. Jordan White will be there. Uh, Mike Brown will be there, of course. Um, if Barrett comes back, you have Frazier committer. They're not going to rotate those two if they're two of their best five. So I would say that that one is certainly up in the air, and then neither tackle spot is guaranteed, I would think. Um, I don't know what the deal is with Junior Uzebu. We just know that he's not with the team right now. There's different explanations. It looks like they let something slip and said that he opted out of the season when they did an interview with the Austin American Statesman last week. We've asked. We haven't been told that, but perhaps he'll be back. But is it him? Is it Brandon Yates? And what type of an edge does Brandon Yates have, having played a whole year? Uh, Bryson May started at right tackle. John Hughes didn't play a snap at right tackle last game. Now, that's not in perpetuity, but that means they don't know what they have there either. So um, would one be the good answer? I was going to say my my thoughts immediately were Zach Frazier starting, period. Um He's he's either your left guard, your right guard, or your center. It depends on Barrett, but he's gonna have a he's gonna have a spot. Yeah, that's where I was going with this. For me, it would be uh, my assumption is not assumption, but for for this exercise, I went with with Barrett and Brown are graduating and moving on. And my thoughts were Zach Frazier at center, James Gamitter at left guard, and then after that, who knows? Uh, you know, I think there's a decent chance Brandon Yates will start at left tackle. I mean, he is still a redshirt freshman, so he's going to have some downswings. But unless unless there's a grad transfer that just comes swinging in, you know, at the end of the year that is ready to go, who's going to replace him? Like, who who's going to come in at left tackle? It's uh, it is seems apparent that it's not currently on the roster because if there was somebody currently on the roster that would overtake him, they would have already done that, and as good as this 2021 recruiting class is and as good as Wyatt Millam is uh, top rated recruiting class, top 30 player in the country. Um, he's not going to come in and start at left tackle. I think he could come in and start at right tackle. I think you could see him get some early playing time at right tackle, but he he's seen as more of a right tackle guy than a left tackle prospect. And so I, I was kind of leaning towards maybe three with Yates, almost a certainty and again, this not because Yates is not playing bad, but I think he's almost a certainty because of the lack of other options. I think the only way he's not starting a left tackle, I mean, other than injury or transfer or whatever, is is if they add a big time transfer in the offseason. 
And that's what they would shoot to try to get a left tackle. Yeah. But so would 129 other teams. <laughs> right, exactly. So that's hard. Yeah, so I think you're you're probably right there. I guess that's true. I'm, I'm under I'm underselling Committer. He's better than his snap counts look right now. So there's two. And and again, if you had your druthers, you just pencil in some continuity at left tackle. You could get to three there. My, my one is not right. Uh, I don't want to agree with you. I'll say two. Okay. <laughs> it's I like it. First question, just I don't want to agree with you, so I'm going to just go some <laughs> other way. That's 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 the attitude, Mike. Yeah. It implies, uh, you, but it does not state that you're correct. You are you are you are my wife right now. Thanks. Um, Let's cut that. <laughs> that's all right. She says she doesn't want to listen to me talk anyway, so she doesn't listen to this podcast. Um, here's one. I'm picking this one out from Dub V Got M. He asked several questions in here. But I thought one was curious because my answer has changed almost every week, I feel like. If you could improve depth at one position group, which one would it be and why? So, yeah, this has been a – it's fluid, Chris. Yes. Uh, It would have been somewhere in the back end before. And Mm -hmm. before that, it probably would have been linebacker. And then I would say recently it probably would have been like defensive line. Saturday it's probably running back. Yeah. Three weeks ago it was receiver. So we've hit everything. So if you're asking me today, um, I don't. I guess my my thing would be, if you're saying depth, are you saying like the number of players you would use or impact players? That's that's interesting to me. Um, I would go receiver because I would want somebody in there who can come in and, and, and do something noteworthy. Take the top off a of defense, break a tackle, turn a three-yard pass into a 40-yard play. They don't have that. They don't have somebody who's going to run and get open and catch a pass reliably. They don't have somebody who's going to catch a slant and zip and dash. Um, they have to they have to manufacture stuff with different players to get that desired effect. So if you have more player, you have more talent to draw from, you have more competition in practice, perhaps you drive something there. The trouble is, I think individually there's some good players there. They just haven't gotten to where they want to be. They, they really miscalculated who and what they have at receiver this year. Like the preseason talk does not match production. I wonder how that was so, so uneven, but um, you can make arguments for different ones, but I think my concern is on offense. Their offense kind of plods a little bit and doesn't have that, you know, that one yard touchdown drive guy. So I would try to increase the depth there because you'll probably luck into somebody or develop somebody or find somebody who can give you that dynamic. Uh, I'm with you and that it's ever changing. I think before the season, I would have said probably corner, um, maybe then switch to safety because I, I wasn't sure. I, I wasn't sure that Alonzo Adai would suddenly become one of the best safeties in the league. Mm-hmm. But then, yes, then it would have switched for most of the season. It probably would have been linebacker, bandit, some something like that. And then after this game, I feel like I feel like the answer right now. And yes, I'm, I'm heavily influenced by this last game, but also kind of thinking about the future just based off what did and did not happen is running back. Um, yeah. Letty Brown's been great. There's no denying that. But if you're if you're relying on one running back to to last all year and to handle you know 90 percent of your carries for the season, you're living in a different era. That doesn't happen anymore. It it, it they get dinged up. They get slowed uh, with tempo. They get tired. You gotta you gotta have at least two, preferably three or four. You know West Virginia's kind of had had that. I think the last few years where they've always had guys that at least three guys, they felt comfortable putting into a game right now. They do not like, I mean, uh, a very Tony Mathis, they're, they're traveling to these games, 
they if they're not getting any meaningful snaps right now. And and with Texas, the Texas game where Letty Brown is hobbled, Alex Singfield just didn't have it on Saturday. And they still and basically they would rather get rid of half of their playbook than put in Sparrow or Tony Mathis. That concerns me. Um, and, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong. Uh, I'm assuming they, they went that way for a reason that they felt it was their best chance of winning was to <clears throat> go another route or stick with a hobbled Brown. And, and that's not great. <laughs> like that's really not great. And we haven't seen much. We haven't been able to see anything of Mathis or Sparrow. I think we saw what, like a couple snaps for Mathis in the, uh, uh, Eastern Kentucky game, and then they went to Lorenzo Door, the walk-on, mm-hmm. and then uh, Sparrow got a couple snaps in the Kansas game. He looked like he had good feet, kept him moving, uh, always moving forward, but that was it. So uh, for me, it's running back right now. I wonder what happened with Brown. I don't think he got hurt in the game. Sounded like he was hurt coming into the game, right? Well, Brown said Neil Brown said that he got hurt on the first drive. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And in the post game, he said he got dinged up on the first drive. I I didn't see it happen because he was there was a play, and I said why Why did they take him out? Because it was second in something, and he was in the backfield, and he ran just like kind of a little flare route out to the right. They didn't throw it to him; they threw it to the other side, and then it was third and two, and then he was off the field, and 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 then they ran up the middle with Alex Sinkfield for like a three yard loss. And I was like, why would they take Letty Brown out when it's third and two? And I guess the implication was that Brown Letty was needed a breather or got hurt. I'm not sure why, because again, he just kind of flared out to the right. There was no contact. He didn't he wasn't even running hard because you know on those flares you kind of jog out to the right um, as a, as a, a release for the quarterback. But he was out and again was was in and out for the rest of the day. Yeah, that's my fault. I listened to the post game. I didn't hear that. Was that at the beginning? Yeah. Okay. That was I was having a hard time with the audio there. Not, not, not at the not at the very beginning, Mike. Oh, where he was very was... mad. <laughs> they cut Everybody's that from the video, by the way. Yeah. They... All right. So I was curious because if he had been hurt coming in, you figured they had to have a plan for to use Mathis or Sparrow or do something better with Sinkfield, and they did not. So that makes sense because if if you know on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday that Brown is limited, you better have a plan in case he can't go, and that didn't seem like the case. Um, I would also say this though, they, I, they, they got away from the run a little bit. And what I mean by that is they, they were not going to run the Brown, the Letty Brown plays the Sinkfield because they know that wasn't going to work. That defensive line was just taking their lunch money in the middle of the, the line, and you can't put Sinkfield there. He's not. That's not where he's best situated. Um, Sinkfield's Sinkfield's a valuable player as an accessory. When you ask him to do the things he's good at, we've seen it. He helps, but we've also seen that when you, when you just swap four for twenty. And you suppose that the player is going to repeat the productivity because you're repeating the play calls. I think that's a little bit difficult. They're different players. Like, I don't think that Sinkfield can run behind his pads with the confidence that Lady Brown can, which is not to say that Sinkfield's not a good running back or doesn't have a purpose. He does. He's seen it, but um, he's more like 2B, option 2B, as opposed to option mm-hmm. 2. And you wonder if, like, ideally, Mathis would be a guy who can come in and, and handle, I don't know, eight. 12 snaps a game. I'm not even saying carries. I'm just saying if he's second and two to keep the trains going forward, they want to do that. Like they don't want to get into third downs. They had a lot of third downs and a lot of it was because they couldn't get those second shorts. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Kind of related to this um, with, with the running backs and, and, and the runs and the options and everything, does from ear in Dixie, does Jared Deggie have the ability to change the play at the line? I may be wrong, but it seems that we run plays right into the opposing team's strengths. I think they have like check with me stuff a lot. And mm-hmm. it's mostly when they, when they see a blitz. And I even went back and like, this is last year, but like just getting to know Brown and his Troy stuff, it seemed like a lot of the same stuff. I'm not sure that it, he had the, I'm not sure that any of the quarterbacks that have played for him have had the ability to be like Will Greer or even to like Clint Trickett or heck, Howard did it too. Mm-hmm. Um, where you look at it and and you call it or whatever, but you know a lot of that's RPO though. So you're you're kind of getting two or three play calls at the line, and it's up to you to change it after the snap if that makes any sense. Like here we're going to run an RPO. All right, they're showing us this. You're not going to change out of it because you're thinking in your head, all right, well that end's going to come in, so I'm going to keep it and throw it outside, or that corner's off. I'm going to your play has a couple of options in it, so you don't really have to change. I'd be curious to know how much of that goes on. They probably call. A dozen or so RPOs a game, dozen fifteen. Who knows? Maybe it goes up a little bit more. Um, but we do see stuff where they check with the sideline, especially when the team mm-hmm. is is tipping their hands. So automatically, I don't think he has that leverage right now. But I think that he's going to always look over to Brown, who's on top of that stuff. Yeah, I'm with you. I think you know, obviously, with the RPO stuff, every every run play has a pass option. Every pass play has another pass option. So it's not really changing the play at the line. Uh, he's just changing where the ball is going. So if he does see those guys kind of pack in the middle, then he knows, all right, fine. I'm going to, you know, uh, fake the handoff and throw it outside. Or if he sees uh, man cut co- tight man coverage and five guys up on the line, he knows, all right, I'm going to hit that quick slant. I'm going to fake this handoff and hit the quick slant. So not, I'm with you. I don't think there's full on, you know, free reign to do whatever you want, but he does have some options at the line. And I think for the most part, you know, just off the top of my head, there's nothing been egregiously bad about his decision-making, none at all. So, um, and, and it was a good point by by Brown in the post game. That one play where it was third and one, the first, the first time they went for it on fourth down, and it was third and one, and they threw kind of the fade pattern out to the corner, and everybody's like, what? in the world are you doing the run play was out of the question because of the bad snap that wasn't i i think i think it was a run oh, yeah. I think, yeah like it was a run and because of the bad snap daggy just had to heave it up there so that wasn't a play call um that was not the play call the play call was you know rpo with with the handoff right up the middle and yeah, bad snap can't do it 
So, um, we got some, a lot of things kind of tied into a similar topic. So I'm not sure which way to go here with, with, with play calling and decision making. Um, so let's start with something we discussed after the game. We've discussed a few times before. We can you can delve on it as much as you want or as little as you want, but this is from WVU football. Wow, how do you get it? How do you get it? got the best? Heard the announcer say that head coach Neil Brown calls offensive plays until we hit the red zone. Is this accurate? If so, is it time for a change? We don't know. Like we think we've asked, and I, again, it sounds like that they have told the announce crews that they do this, but it also sounds like the announce crew said that Parker calls the plays from the goal line of the twenty. So if they're coming out of the red zone, Parker calls the plays too. I don't. I've never heard that before, so I'm not sure. Maybe they got that confused. But yeah, our understanding is that in in the normal course of action during the game, Brown calls the plays, and then when they get into a red zone possession, Parker takes it. I've asked. That was my question that brought that up. I asked Daigie about it, and then Daigie said that Parker's doing a great job calling plays, and I immediately raised my hand again and couldn't get back in, and then had to ask Parker, like, do you call the plays? And he said, he again kind of no commented and said that everybody has a, a say in it, but it does sound like, based on Daigie's partial revelation and then what they have told announce crews on their, their day of or day before meetings, that that's their play call, um, which is unusual, but it worked by and large up until Saturday. Yeah, uh, as as you've also noted a few times, 25 of 25 for the first team offense in red zone scoring, and 20 of those were touchdowns before Saturday. Mm-hmm. So I think Saturday was more the anomaly than than what this team actually is in the red zone. So it's been working. My issue has been more with the quick changeover because we've seen issues with that, with the communication and, and the uh, not false starts, but delay of games, having to use timeouts, all that stuff. And that was kind of the next question from Dirty Frank WVU. Um, what do you think, or you guys, t- this is what he starts with, you guys talked about timeouts and other operational things in the postgame podcast, and I agree that it's one, a problem overall, and two, an off-season post-mortem adjustment for next year thing. So my question is, what do you think comes from such an off-season post-mortem? Feels like Parker is going to call plays next year, question mark. Maybe that helps operations. What else? Um, and then he asked if, if Bill Leg, what Bill Leg does on game day, and if he could also be part of the solution. I have no idea on Bill Leg. I've literally not seen him since he's been back. I haven't talked to him, seen him, and I have no idea. He's never come up in conversation. I saw that, and I was like, that's interesting. I wish I had an answer. I do not. Um, I think he's there for. To, I think he's there to ask. I think he's there to offer help and answer questions when he's asked and do some things like that. I don't think he's like an administrator or anything. Um, like Sage, Sensei, something like that is probably a, a good way to put it. He's a really good offensive coach, too. So I think that if you had issues with something or if you had ideas about something or if you're looking at a defense or whatever that you haven't seen or figured out before, he's probably seen it and figured it out. He's been around a long time, and he's been a really good offensive coordinator, offensive mind. So he's a good resource. I think that he could help you in situations like this if you had a think tank, if you had a brainstorm. He would be in the room for sure. Can I hop what, in real quick yeah, with a question ahead. for you? Is, is he even allowed to do anything on game day? Like, is he one of the is he one of the people allowed to have a headset? I don't think so because you can only have is it fifteen? Is that right? Yeah, I thought and it was something like that. Yeah, ten or coaches. You're going to give probably two to offensive and defensive graduate assistants and one to a special teams grad assistant. I think is is how I, I think teams have done that before. So, but I also don't think he's allowed to be on the field. So that I would be surprised if he could do that. But 
it doesn't I mean he's got a job and a desk and an office for a reason so he's he's in the conversation sometimes I'm sure um Sorry, I didn't mean I, to take you off no, track. No. I was, I was, I was in the same boat. I felt like he was more of a, a leading up to game day than a game day contributor kind yeah, of guy, which um, is fine. Which is fine. Yeah, like yeah. You know, a lot of your your best stuff happens. Games are won and lost Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Correct. You, know, you, you play them on Saturday, but you, you win and lose on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, which is probably what we're getting with with Frank here. Whatever your preparation is, especially this late into the season, should be taking the iron to these wrinkles and, and making sure everything is smooth. Um, they can't keep popping up like this too. It's an unusual thing, I guess. Well, I mean, it's a usual thing. I get that it's not normal and it probably takes some rehearsal, but kind of late for that stuff to be going on. I mean, you see like the back of guys jerseys running off the field when there's seven seconds in the play clock on a, on an angle situation. That's, that's concerning, I think. So that's obviously got to go to the top of the to-do list. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I happen to think that, a lot of head coaches that want to be play callers eventually realize their way out of it. What I mean by that is they realize that there's a lot going on and they can't do it. And you could, you could sit me down and we could have a conversation. You could convince me that some of these moments of disarray are just the result of him having his hands on so many things and spinning so many dishes. And I would say, all right, yeah, you're probably right. I don't know. Maybe that sounds like it's a good explanation. He's never really addressed that. And I'm sure that he's not going to say, yeah, I got too much going on. This is why this is so sloppy in situation. So we'll never know for sure on that. But I think if he scales stuff back, you're probably going to get an answer. And I think that if this experimentation with Parker calling plays is indeed what it is, one, it's working. And two, you wonder, is this some sort of an audition, some sort of training wheels moment for Brown to eventually hand over stuff to Parker? That would be interesting to me. The trouble with that is, how long do we think Parker's going to be here? Well, I mean, if he he truly gets – if you would have told me that he would have been – offensive coordinator in name only like as in not calling plays i would have said this might be his only year um because I, I think he needs play calling duties if he's going to stick around so if he gets play calling duties i could see him here for a couple years because as as much as he's kind of uh revered and <clears throat> pardon me uh coveted in the in the coaching industry the offense hasn't been a juggernaut you know that that kind of stuff is you don't get you don't catch the eye of other teams as, as head coach possibilities you don't catch the eye of athletic directors and stuff uh unless you are you know putting up points if you're an offensive coordinator you gotta put up points and west virginia is not putting up points and he's the offensive coordinator so uh, you know yeah i think he's great i think he's going to be great i think he's going to be a head coach we've already seen him get kind of an audition before uh in, in strange circumstances but he is uh if I think he could be here for a couple of years if he gets full play, full on play calling duties. Yep. So I wonder if this is some sort of proving ground. And again, up until Saturday, it was really, really good. And that might answer some questions for Brown in the future. So uh, we know that Brown let Parker call some plays against can, is it Eastern Kentucky, maybe. Yeah. So yep. he's not unwilling, and I'm sure that he's he's surveying the situation here too. Uh, but again, if you let him do it next year, and then he's gone, and he's not in your team in 2022, is Brown taking it over again? Or is he going to hire an offensive coordinator that's going to be able to call the plays that he doesn't really know or hasn't worked with? Unless it's going to be someone like you know Travis Trickett or you know Matt Moore, for example. I don't know. I don't think you want your again. I don't think you want your offensive line coach calling plays. That's that's not a, a common thing. So um, Brown's going to be on his own staff for as long as Brown is the head coach, right? <laughs> yeah. So he's if he always wants to be the play caller, he knows he doesn't have to worry about him taking another job somewhere else. He's always going to be there to do it. So um, listen, it's a, it's a puzzle, 
And it's something that we're going to have to wait time to put the pieces together. But it's it's definitely something I want to see the finished product of because I do think that sometimes um, it, it kind of maybe gets in the way of some things. But if it gets cleared up, you're going to have a pretty clear picture of what they want to do. Yeah, we've we've seen it a, a million times. Offensive coordinators, deeper head coaches that were offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators, they like to call plays. It's hard to get them off that. It is hard, and and you can't really blame them. You it's know, how they got they, the job. Yeah, exactly. They they got the job because they were good at calling plays. So it's hard to then ask them to give up calling plays, um, because a lot of times the person you trust the most is yourself. So hard to blame them on that difficult situation, but. It's something that every team deals with, and in West Virginia's got to figure it out. Uh, I'll wrap it up with this one, unless you got a, another one outside of this that, that you really wanted to touch on. But this is from Drill Ear. Head coach Neil Brown has said in the past his goal against better teams is to keep in the game to give a chance to win in the fourth quarter. Most, if not all, the games this has happened, the team has not capitalized on that chance. Do you think this is still the plan? And if so, does this stay the plan in the future, even though he? his team seems to not be capable of capitalizing. Um, first, is that a fair assessment? I don't know what the longevity for that is, but I've heard him say that or paraphrase that or, or something to that effect. And I think that's because he's staring at his hand and he's at the table with some of these teams that are just going to outman him sometimes. Mm-hmm. And he, he's not going to win a track race. Um, so I think it's a good answer right now. It, you're just not you're not going to win football games or championships or keep people happy grinding out games in this conference. It's not realistic. Is that I too bold? Even, Is that too no, harsh? <laughs> no, I don't think so. But I, has the record been that bad? I, I no, right, right, right. I, I I went back and looked. Five and four in games decided in the fourth quarter. Five and four in games decided by touchdown or less. So. They're, they're, <laughs> obviously, when you're playing like that to keep it close, there's going to be times you're disappointed. I don't think it's been an abject disaster by any means. Um, but you're right. The, the real question is how long is that the the goal? Because mm-hmm. when you're undermanned, when you're, you know, just like, just like in, in basketball in the NCAA tournament, when you are the underdog, when you're the team that's not as talented – you want as few possessions as possible so that you can try to keep it close so that you can win, you know, based off of variance in the final couple minutes. And if the, at what point does the team get good enough where you say, now we just have the talent and now we're just going to go out there and play and play to win no matter what time of the game it is or how it's, how it happens. Um, I think they're building up this roster that, that that point shouldn't be too far off where you got to start playing like that and thinking like that. Yeah. He's, I wrote about this yesterday, Sunday. I don't want to, I don't want to read what I wrote, but he's in the margins a lot because he has to be, he's, he's got his arms extended trying to keep this tight and close this door and make sure this window doesn't fly open. And because the longer he keeps the lid on stuff, or the longer he keeps his situation contained, the more competitive they are, they're going to have a better chance. And like, they're not, also they're not, they're not, overmatched personnel wise they're not like that's not an excuse anymore and it wasn't last year i get that they just weren't old enough and they didn't have enough people they're older and they have enough people now they don't use a lot of people but they have enough people i think to get by and win and they have um your your five and four stat is good trouble is they played 19 games half of them in the fourth quarter and when you make a game a 50 50 proposition 
you're going to win 50% of the time and lose 50% of the time. And what's five and four? It's darn near 50-50. So if you want to keep extending that out, what if four years from now they played, you know, 27 of those games? Are you going to be 14 and 13 in those games? Or are you going to be, you know, 20 and seven? Probably going to be closer to 14 and 13. So just that's just the way the averages work. So it's not, I just don't think it's a good proposition. Scoring offense is the biggest thing to me. And again, his offenses at Troy were good. They played complimentary football too. Um, and to, to take your, to take your underdog in the NCAA tournament a little bit further, they got to play zone defense or, or like a full court press or do something exotic on defense, which let's say their defense stands up and they do that, but they don't hit threes on offense. They're not going to get, they're not going to make up for two baskets, but you get in three. You know what I mean? Like you may get three easy scores and they might just step back and hit two threes. And all of a sudden it's even again, like they just don't have that ability on offense right now, which they're probably getting to, which actually that leads me to this for you, because I think to answer this question that we're answering right now might go to a question I want to ask you. And it kind of doves off of one that we're is in the, the board. Um, I don't think that they would go out and see Jared day yet at camp and recruit him. What I mean by that is, like, I don't know what about his high school tape and tools makes you say, yeah, that's him. I think, mm-hmm. the, I think when he's in the transfer portal and you're in the situation Brown is in and you're trying to collect assets at that quarterback position because you got to have one, and he's there and you know him and you have all the, the familiarity that we know about, that makes sense. Um, but we kind of have an idea what Daigie can do. I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna be. I don't think he's gonna regress. But I'm not sure that his ceiling is so much higher than what it is right now. And he's doing fine. But I just don't think he's gonna throw like 420 yards and five touchdowns a game. Which, listen, you're gonna have to have that sometimes when you're playing in this situation. That's that's a high high standard. But that's gonna have to happen sometimes. So, because he's not gonna hit you with other ways to beat you. Which leads me to this. Um, I think that the quarterback position could be more dynamic. I don't think there's any arguing that which means a guy who can run, a guy who can keep, a guy who's going to basically force the defense to be way more vanilla than it is at times because he's going to read and keep or he's going to take a snap and run a draw play or he's going to get outside the pocket and do something. And I think everybody looks at this and says, well, they got that guy. They got Garrett Green. They do. Um, I, I don't know what the quarterback competition will be like, but I think the spring is going to be really interesting into the summer. And I wonder, like, in the future – I don't think they would recruit Daigie if they saw him. I'm not sure they would recruit a guy like Daigie if they saw him. And I see what they're doing right now with with uh, Green. I'm not so sure about what Crowder is, though. Is Crowder more Daigie than Green? Probably. But is he not like Green at all? I don't think that's fair. And what's it going to be like in the future? Like That's the thing I think that they can actually change to most immediately affect the offense. Because their offensive line, they're doing a good job recruiting offensive line. But we know that takes time. Receivers, I'm not worried about. You can get a freshman to play and be an impact right away. You can find a transfer. You can develop guys. Their talent level is okay receiver. It just hasn't lived up to the hype this season. It doesn't mean it won't. But that quarterback thing is something that, listen, if you get the right guy in, a year on the sideline, and then bang, he's in, he can make something happen for you. Yeah, I, I think there is a definitive difference between what they were recruiting at the high school level and what they added in Jared Diggy. You're 100% correct. I'm not, I, I think if Jared Diggy, say, you know, a year ago was a high school senior, I'm not sure, you know, or two years ago, I'm not sure they're looking at that kind of skill set. I'm not sure they're looking at that type of player. Uh, almost, uh, Garrett Green is a true dual threat guy, a guy that rolls and runs and likes to likes to run for on these scrambles and everything else. And he's got a strong arm. He's got a real strong arm. Uh, an elite baseball player can really sling it. Uh, a little shorter than what you're looking for in a quarterback, but can roll and move that pocket so you don't have to worry as much about 
seeing over linemen. Will Crowder is, is similar, uh, more similar to Green than he is Deggy, to answer okay. your question. I think he he's also a guy that you know, ran for 500-some yards as a, as a quarterback this past season. So he's, he's also a dual threat quarterback. And then you look at the 2022 class and who they're offering a lot of their focus, you know, they got some offers out to some guys that are, they're quite honestly statues, but some of the guys that they're focusing most on the guys that are saying that they're talking to the staff the most are athletes, real athletes that, that get out of the pocket and move with the ball, with their feet. Uh, Jaden Sarre from, from Maryland, Caden Martin from Tennessee, Braden Davis from Florida, Gavin Wimsat from Kentucky. All these guys are guys that are are moving with their feet, that get out of the pocket, roll out of the pocket, can can get you yards that way, and are are more dynamic than a, a guy like Jared Dagey. So I think uh, I, I'm with you. I think it'll be curious. I'm, I'm curious to see what the battle will look like, especially with everybody getting their extra year eligibility that's currently on the roster. But it, it it's pretty apparent that there is a shift coming at the quarterback position if Neil Brown's around for a while. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, too. Like, you could have Daigie under center for the entire 2022 season. That's crazy continuity in college football. Like, you're just mm-hmm. not going to get that very much. Um, because if you have a good quarterback who plays early, he's not going to be around that long. You're not going to have three- and four-year starters at a high-level program because if you got a guy who's that good to start for four years, he's probably not going to be in college for four years. So, that's I mean, it's it's such a gift if you if you want to have it. And I just don't know that that's what they're going to do because I'm not saying he's not good. His numbers are fine. But I just think that, that the offense could add a, a dash of this or a sprinkle of that. And it's it's with legs and it's with mobility. And he's either unwilling or not allowed to do that. And the same is absolutely not true of Green. You can watch that kid for a second and tell that he's either going to run outside or, or keep or whatever, or they're going to tell him not to do it. And he's going to go, enough of that. I'm going to do this my own. And he's going to get popped and get up and, and feel good about it. But um, I, d- I just think they're different players. And doesn't mean that one's better or one's wrong. They're just different. And that might unlock the offense. Agreed. Uh, not, agreed. Call for, not a call for Green to play this year, believe me. But I do think in the offseason, <laughs> that's going to be something they talk about. And also, let's be honest, too. We've heard for weeks now that that some attention is going to green in practice about mm-hmm. just, let's see if this works or if it could work or where could it work or when could it work they're working on something with him and you don't hear that about kendall so it's not like they're trying to replace daggy they're trying to add some juice and that's going to come from green title listen mike pulls garrett <laughs> green lever uh publish all right done that is we are we're ready to roll. I, I think we can wrap it up on that note. We got our title. We got our lead in. Uh, I already know what picture is going to go on the front page. This is perfect. This is after, Thanks this for is that. After, this is after I advocated starting uh, um, Kendall last week, too. So. <laughs> you, I, you, sir, the, the, the message board is, is, is rubbing off on you, and I love it. I love it. It's just, fantastic. Just trying to get those clicks, Chris. <laughs> All 300 of them. All 384, all from Austin, Texas. Got some uh, unhappy email yesterday. Let's just say that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, I have nothing else. Do you? No, I do not. Like I said, we'll uh, have some updates. Got a, a couple of recruiting updates coming up. I'll answer the rest of these questions and even some of these questions we talked about in written form later this afternoon, tomorrow. Uh, ears in the NFL update. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, Nick 
Kwiatkowski, Ooh. that stop on that, you know, on the two point conversion, that was that was huge for one. That was to tie the game. Two, that was that was a heck of a play. Uh, quarterback was running full speed, and Nick just stood him up like a brick wall right there. Uh, so we'll have that update. I'm going to try out that new Tuesday morning quarterback piece, uh, kind of flipping the page, going into next week, and then of course we have Neil Brown coming up later in the day. One thing on on quit. Man, Tony Gibson was 100% right on him. Um, yeah. Told me a couple years ago when he got got drafted that he would be a pick by a team that needed someone to make special teams plays and, you know, needed like that fourth linebacker, fifth linebacker, and that they would see him and say, that highly paid guy in front of him, we're letting him walk because we can put him in and he'll play and he'll be fine. And he said, now the trouble with that is every other team is going to see that. And he goes, his second contract is going to be enormous and he's going to be a really good player for somebody. He's going to be like your traditional middle linebacker. And darn it, that isn't exactly what happened in his <laughs> career. I mean, exactly what happened because he played linebacker for the Bears. It was special teams, got in the field because he could play, backed up, was like the fourth linebacker. And then they decided that they were not going to pay the starter. And then the the Raiders said, well, we like him too. <laughs> and they yeah. just took him. And now he's really good. Hey, yeah. I mean, he's he's been tremendous. I was glad to see him get paid. Uh, he deserved every bit of that. And then, you know, to be named captain as a free agent signing in game one, I think that speaks as much to your performance on the field as how the team views you off it. Because that that that's just so rare for you to come in and then two months later you are captain for the season opener of uh, for your new team. Uh, pretty remarkable, great player, doing great things, and and hopefully it continues. Well, let's think about this too. That's that's quick turnaround, earned it, deserved it, and has produced. Um, Quentin Spain gets cut by a team, gets signed by the Bengals, and then plays right away, darn near every snap, and then Rasul Douglas, same thing, new team, and he just doesn't come off the field like. All these West Virginia players are really good on their new team right away, playing a lot right away. I'm wondering why they're floating around. Yeah, the Razul Douglas thing, I think Philly fans are losing their absolute minds because they cut him and what was the other quarter cornerback they had? Sidney Jones, I think, was right. his name. And both of them are excelling wherever they're at. Douglas, I, I wrote about it, was one of the top, according to scouts and all almost all the advanced statistics, not just scouts, uh, one of the 10 best cover corners in the entire NFL and I mean, he's he's a guy that got cut and got picked up for the final year of his rookie contract, you know, for like a few hundred thousand dollars instead of 20 million like some of these other guys that are uh, in that top 10. So um, it, it, it's a, the final year of your contract. That's a good time to start con- to start making big waves like that. You know, it's my contract here, Chris. <laughs> well, why don't you get out there and start doing something then, Mike? Come on, man. <laughs> Touche. All right, let's wrap up. That's all for this time. Until next time, I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.